Hello, my name is Declan Deneen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of Guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Jolie Menzel. Uh, Jolie is a developer and a writer, um, she started a video game career at Telltale, working on stuff like Fables and The Walking Dead, and is currently the narrative designer for the uh, upcoming South Park, The Fractured But Whole. Um, those guys. Uh, this is uh, this is a really good uh, chat, and, uh, like, I mean, I'm a bit worried that it sounds a bit bad, because we were honestly beset by technical issues. I think I've edited around most of it, and I think it's entirely listenable. And she's uh, amazing and fascinating. So many good stories. Like, it's a really good chat. Um, but I think I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm at my best with this interview, um, purely because I was so kind of concerned about uh, audio levels and, and the connection and stuff. But nevertheless, listening back on the edit, um, I, think it's, I think it's brilliant. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just warning you up front, that, like there are some bits where it kind of gets a little bit crackly, but uh, it soon sorts itself out. Um, and, and it's, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, they're all amazing. What what a treat this show is. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not saying that like, you know, in a kind of you're welcome kind of way. I just mean, personally, it's a treat. Um, as I mentioned last week, uh, the show is on hiatus for the remainder of October. Uh, there will still be episodes coming out every week, but I'm going to do, um, I decided I was going to do the, the This American Life thing, where if there's not a new episode ready, they just replay a really old one. And you kind of you listen for about five ten minutes. You're like, hang on, I've heard this before. Um, so I'm I'm being upfront about it now. But you know, a lot of people have started listening later, maybe a bit behind, maybe missed a few of the early episodes. So I'm just going to rebroadcast. I think I've got four of them coming up. Just kind of earlier episodes, ones that were maybe overlooked or ones that I don't think people that I think a lot of people maybe haven't listened to yet that are absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, so so the show will continue on as normal, but just the next four episodes are going to be rebroadcasts. Um, sorry about that. Like I just I've I so much to do. <laughs> I'm really busy. Um, like the show is 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 not a chore at all. The show the show is a joy to do. Uh, as my self satisfied introduction, uh, <laughs> um, no doubt uh, confirms. But yeah, so next couple of weeks going to have some old episodes, uh, some great brilliant uh, early guests uh, so so do continue to tune in and you know don't want the, the feed to go away and i'll be back with a new episode and a new guest in november the first uh, new episode comes out in november i've already got a couple lined up so looking forward to it uh, but just because the episodes aren't brand new don't let that discourage you from getting in touch with the show if you'd like i'll still be online and stuff uh, you can email it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpoint show on twitter or it's checkpoints podcast on facebook it's very important to have consistent branding um as always rate and review the show if you like it um nobody nobody ever does this um i you know i get it this this show skews to older audience people are busy i've just told you i'm taking four weeks off um, but it takes two minutes, and uh, and it's so, so useful. It really helps new people discover the show. 
so you, you've got a month and i won't i don't think actually i don't think i even talk about rating and viewing on the some of the episodes i'm going to be rebroadcasting so this is the last reminder for a little while uh, and of course you know that um, you can donate to the patreon if you have the the money and the inclination all donations very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be Oh, I should mention as well, the show is now available on TuneIn. Um, there's so many places to get podcasts now. I lose, I lose track of them. Uh, but but the main kind of the, the fun gimmick of, of it being on TuneIn is that if anyone owns uh, Amazon Echo, yeah, you should now be able to say, hey, Alexa, play Checkpoints podcast, and the, the show should play. I, I don't have one, um, so if that does work, do let me know. Uh, that would be amazing. I find that very exciting. I shouldn't. It's not. It's not that. You know, this is the world we live in now. But nevertheless, it's a fun thing. If it works, amazing. Do let me know. Um, you can. I don't know if you can subscribe to that. I don't know how it works. I just. I just did it for the for the gimmick of it, because a, a friend of mine pointed out to me. Um, anything else? No, I think that's pretty much everything. I'll be back next week with an old episode and an old guest. Uh, the new episodes start in November. Thanks so much for listening. As always, please subscribe rate and review let's uh, let's get on with the show so i'll do a i'll do a formal introduction for the for the sake of ceremony so jolie thanks so much for coming on the show um if you don't mind would you introduce yourself yeah, so um, I'm Julie Manzel. I'm the lead nerd designer on South Park: The Fractured But Whole, um, and I tell stories through video games. That's my thing. And so, you, previous to this, you worked at Telltale, right? Yeah, and I was at Telltale for about three and a half years. I came on during Jurassic Park, which maybe some people played. Um, and then I, I, it's definitely in my Steam library. I don't know if I have played it. I must, I must admit. <laughs> That's fair. I think I have most of the Telltale games. I, w- I wouldn't put library. a gun near your head to play it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I worked on Jurassic Park, and then I um, obviously everyone knows Walking Dead. I, I shipped five episodes of that, and then went on to Wolf Among Us, and. Then did uh, Tales of the Borderlands, and then that was where I left to do South Park. And did, did, where did that sort of come from? Did you just sort of see that opportunity and think, oh, I'll, I'll give that a go? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was, um, you know, it's funny, I was a, I was a, my major is in sequential art, which is a very fancy way of saying comic books. Yeah. So I have a major in comic books. Uh, and I, I was, dead set on kind of being a storyboard artist and uh, it just didn't um, all the friends I made in school were game design majors and so that was kind of where my network grew and where I got to meet people and I eventually went to GDC and I ended up meeting the Telltale folks at GDC and we hit it off enough that I had an interview with them and they hired me and I was like you know what I'll I will figure out the degree later because I just got a job offer from Telltale Games, and they weren't on the map yet at that point. Like, they, I think their biggest release had been Back to the Future. That's uh, that. That seems almost too easy, Jolie. It was a bit too easy. <laughs> like, I'm a bit. I'm. A bit, I'm. I, 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 I'm looking for. I need more of a story now for the, for the, the interview. We'll, we'll dig back into that. Um, well, there, there was there amazing. was a whole there was a whole year of GDC where I had no one. 
think I was any good. And I, I went to the like Red Storm booth of all places, like ironically a Ubisoft booth. And I showed the guy, the art director at the time, my portfolio, and he said, "You need to focus. You're good at storyboarding. <laughs> Just do that." And I said, "Okay, cool. I'll do that." And so, like, the, my entire like junior year was storyboard focus because I was like, "Okay, this is the first person who told me I can like have a job doing anything. I will do that thing." <laughs> <laughs> I was interested about the storyboarding though because, like. I know, obviously, there's a lot of that done for for film. I've never really thought about it in terms of of games. Like, is there? I mean, I know there's like concept artists and stuff, but are there actual storyboard artists? I, I imagine that'd be quite useful. Something like like a Telltale game. It's it's very useful. Telltale games. I think um, when I rolled on at Ubisoft, it became useful. It wasn't something I was really hired for. Uh, but we were making. We, you know, we were making the South Park game. No one really knew what we were in for. We're building it in the same engine they were building the division in. Really? And oh yeah, it's in Snowdrop, which is the same, yeah, same engine. That's amazing. And we were we're trying to figure out like what's our what's our prototyping pipeline? Like how do we how do we build levels for the South Park game? And I said, well, I can draw a little bit. I'm interested in. Um, what if I draw the levels? And so some of our, our prototypes are, are kind of like first playables. They're actually these kind of levels that I drew in 2D. And we actually uploaded 2D sketches of these levels and played through them that way. Because it was more accurate. Um, before before I came on, we had another level designer who was actually just kind of gray boxing, which is the traditional way of, of making yeah. level prototypes. You yeah, you, you build in 3D and you walk through it. And it's like, well, this isn't really accurate to what South Park is. South Park is really... It's it's more akin to an animation storyboard or animation layout. Um, so that's what I started doing there. And back back when I got hired, I was a level designer. So that was kind of part of my job description was like, build levels, make levels work. And so I made levels work the best I could, which was the storyboard. That's amazing. That, that There's something very uh, old school about that. Oh yeah, and like that's honestly like that's the best way to make games is like get hands on and get get like dig into them, you know. <laughs> like yeah. Um, well, let's um, let's dig back then, Jolie. Um, so, if you can remember, what was your your very first experience of a video game? It was uh, so I grew up in New Jersey, and New Jersey. Um, before it was known for the Jersey Shore and MTV TRL. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have a lot of local pizza places and a lot of arcades on the boardwalk. Yeah. And my first experience playing a video game was Ms. Pac-Man. They had a Ms. Pac-Machine, Ms. Pac-Man machine in the pizza place right near my house. And we would go order pizza. And while they were making the pizza, I would play Ms. Pac with my mom. Like it was like you know it was an arcade cabinet and like my mom would like hold me up so I could play it, um, and she'd be like, "No, you have to go chase the ghosts. You have to chase the ghosts. You can't just eat the pellets. You have to chase the ghosts." Um, it's an important life lesson for any child. Yeah, you have to take risks, or else <laughs> exactly. you won't get the big rewards. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta chase your ghosts. <laughs> That's amazing. Like uh, because like the, there seems to be. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I wonder, is there still, like, an arcade scene in sort of New Jersey? Because, like, my my British equivalents are, like, seaside places, like, I don't know, like, Margate or Minehead or something. And there are still arcades, but they're generally 
either big gimmicky machines or or slot machines in most cases there's very little sense of that kind of arcade community except for now you get like barcades popping up all over the place that's the new yeah we could it was there it was there and we had it and the arcade hit and a lot of the arcades just like went underwater and literally literally underwater (laughs) not like financially under literally underwater um, so we lost a lot of it, but it's still there. There's still the kind of like pay by the hour arcade scene. Okay. And I think a lot of people okay. migrated there. Yeah. So it's not all lost, but like I think that's a, a big part of like my roots and a big part of um, East Coast roots is we had a lot of arcades for a long time. And so did that continue then as you you got older? Though? Did you, like hanging out in arcades, or did you? Um, oh yeah, like, when did you first I'm get a-, a console and stuff. I yeah, you know, I got a console whenever whenever Pokemon Stadium two came out. I don't know offhand. That was the that was the tipping point where I, I just needed an N sixty four, and I made it happen. Um, but for a long time, yeah, it was all arcade games. It was pinball. It was, it was um, there was like a Marvel vs. Capcom two machine in the arcade. I played a lot. Um, so a big a big like arcade base. Um, was that, like, just, did everyone was that, play that? Like, was that just what kids did, hang out in the arcade? No, I mean, I was kind of like a... It was more like my friends and I were the outcasts. We would go hide in the arcade. <laughs> um, there was, like, a DDR machine, and we got really good at DDR. Oh, man. Uh, I love DDR. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love the... You know, going to a machine that's built explicitly to play one game. And, like, my mother had a Pong. She had Pong for Atari. And she would tell me about it. And I'm like, I really like the idea that you bought this console. And it came with a controller that was a tail that is made explicitly for Pong. Like, this is a console made for Pong and you bought that. And I always felt the same way, like playing DDR or playing pinball or playing Marvel vs. Capcom. Were you were you good at DDR? I got pretty good. I can play like extreme, like ten foot songs. It's, it's it, I, I have such fond memories of DDR, but also like I'm so inwardly embarrassed for myself as well because oh, it's like, shameful. When I was. <laughs> it's like, but I was quite old when I got into DDR. Like I was like seventeen or eighteen. And I would go to, there was a DDR machine in their local bowling alley. And we would, me and my other sort of 17, 18 year old friends would go there just, just to play DDR. Yeah. And just sort of like, like, oh, let's just hang out and play DDR. Like, and it was ridiculous. And all of the other people watching us were like, mostly kind of 11 and 12 year olds. Oh, yeah. And we were all really good because we had our home machines as well. So we practiced. Right, right, right. And it's just, I, I'm excruciatingly embarrassed for my younger self, but also, we had the best time. It was so much fun. Oh, yeah. And, like, you feel like a rock star. Like, everyone, like, like you have a bunch of, um, like, so on the Jersey Shore, um, you know, you have locals and you have, like, what we call Bennies. Uh, Bennies is an acronym for the towns in North Jersey. Uh, Bayonne, Elizabeth, okay. Newark, New York. They come from the south. They come from the north and they pollute the south and they are tourists. But... <laughs> you have this group of Bennies who watches you play DDR because they don't have DDR machines up in New York City. And at least not, not, not that I'm aware of. And they come down and just like watch you play. And at first it's very nerve wracking. You're just like, oh, all these strangers are like, watching me play this dance game. But then they all clap for you at the end. Just like, you feel like a rock star. You're just like, oh man. Yeah, I kicked ass at this weird yeah, know, dancing right. game. 
did you ever have like um like proper cruise like i remember i went to the uh, big arcade in the trocadero in london mm-hmm. um and they were literal like ddr dance crews like they would be kind of breakdancing crews and they were doing like backflips and running up the cabinet and oh, i was oh amazing like proper really exciting stuff like battling against each other it was i would like try like knock on those dudes but i wasn't cool enough <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's amazing okay okay so so i i, I love that this kind of arcade culture I- existed so was that kind of um prior to the n64 were you kind of aware of video games in a wider sense and just not that interested in getting a home console because you had this kind of arcade outlet yeah i mean i just i really like that was what defined games for me and that's why i enjoyed games to some degree as a spectacle and to some degree as an event and so the the thing with consoles is like you know it's when you take something like that home it stops being an event it's just like a thing you have at your house like a tv it's like it's like watching tv like there, there is something yeah. very special to me about games as an event, and like I'm not, I'm not like super into esports, but like that's kind of now where I get my outlet for games as an event is like you know watching the internationals or watching the latest Hots tournament or something. Um, but I still, I still very, very fondly enjoy games as a entertainment. Um, honestly, the console only happened because Pokemon happened, and all my friends are playing Pokemon, and I want to play Pokemon with them. <laughs> So it's still it's still an event, right? It's but still why, why Pokemon. Pokemon Stadium, though. Yeah, I mean, well, like it's the thing, like you know, Pokemon Stadium's a game I can invite friends over, I can play with them. It's something I can you know throw a party around. Okay, so you never had like the Game Boy version or anything? No, I did. I did have the Game Boy one. Um, my mom, bless her heart, found me a original Game Boy at a garage sale. And was that like your first home console? Yeah, that was my first one, really. She It came with uh, Super Mario Land, if you remember that one. Oh, I do, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a really good game. It's so well, good. I mean, my memory of it is really good. It's it's still good. It's um weird. <laughs> it's In hindsight, I'm like, this is a weird first Mario game to play, because it's not Mario at all. So what was the... Like, was Pokemon just a kind of everyone was into it type of thing? It wasn't... Oh it yeah, wasn't I mean, a I weird was kind of like nerdy game thing. It was just this is this is Pokemon. This is for everyone. It it, and it it had that same kind of spectacle element to it. You know, I was in fourth grade when I got really big, and you'd play. You know, everyone like bring their link cables, and we'd all play together. You'd all fight your Pokemon. There was one kid on the on the on the playground who knew how to clone Pokemon with like the you could like unplug the link cable at a certain time and. Um, it would like glitch the trading uh, mechanics, so you could like clone people's Pokemon. Hacks, hacks, elite hacks, as you would call them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even that, even that as a spectacle, is very interesting. Like, oh, okay, this one guy knows this magic trick. Like, clone Mew. If you want Mew, talk to Brandon. He's got Mews. <laughs> <laughs> so, did everyone in your school just have like the full collection? Oh yeah, we were we were hook, line, and sinker. Honestly, like we were. You know, I was probably like eight or nine when it really hit the states so it was just like exact demographic like had a i had a my fourth grade teacher had this assignment she was trying to teach us uh, evolution and bless her heart the the assignment was bring in your favorite pokemon card 
and talk about how your favorite Pokemon evolved to survive in the Pokemon world. And and that was <laughs> the first time. Good. It was great. It was great. And it was the first time I bought Pokemon cards. Like I actually, I was like kind of like resisting it because I was like kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to like follow the crowd. But then this assignment came, and I was like, oh, but I'm like an A plus student. I gotta like do this assignment really well. So I, I bought a bunch of Pokemon cards, <laughs> and I was just gone from then on. I was just a lost cause. <laughs> That's really putting the kind of designers' feet to the fire as well, though. That's like, okay, have they really thought this through? That we're going to oh, they, the yeah, cards? it was great. It was like, oh, Squirtle has a hard shell to protect itself. Yep, makes sense. That's amazing. That's amazing. And once you had like the the, the Game Boy and the N sixty four and stuff, did you start kind of broadening out, or were they just like Pokemon machines? Like you seem to be a fan of. You know what? You know, single game machine. It really, it really was. It really was a Pokemon machine, and the only thing that got me out of it was Super Smash Brothers, because I I bought it because it had Pikachu in it, and I I mained Pikachu Obviously. forever. And and Kirby Kirby was the one that was like, well, this is also cute. I can deal with Kirby, and then I found Kirby sixty four. Okay. All right. All right. What about Mario 64? That's a good. Like we have a Star Fox and branched out, but it really was by the grace of Super Smash Brothers because otherwise I had I would have no idea what anything else was in games. That's amazing. All right. So so you have this kind of indoctrination into the world of Nintendo via Smash Brothers and Mario 64. Does it does it go any broader than that, or is it just these are all cute characters? I love these. I'll just play these games. So ironically, like simultaneously, the same friend who had gotten Pokemon Blue, who had motivated me to, you know, find this Game Boy at a garage sale and play Pokemon, she also had a Genesis. But all she had was Sonic One, so we just played Hello Sonic One. Oh, Sonic One's a fantastic game. Uh, we were lucky to get to like Zone Three or like the Labyrinth Zone. Like we were terrible at it. Um, it, it was a, it was a it was a big event to get to the labyrinth stone. Is that the one where there's the kind of water? And oh to, yeah, we could never beat it. It was just yeah, awful. That that music and that sound, the sound of him gasping for air, is one of the most panic-inducing sounds. It's, I don't know how they've they've done it, but I still I have like sort of remnants of like sense memories of how panicked I was as a kid. Absolutely, it's it is traumatizing. <laughs> It really is, and the way he dies as well—it's so like, oh, it's so bleak. He just, yeah, he just, he just dead. Sonic corpse floating up to the top. It's horrible. Yeah. Just, just suddenly dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this, there's this weird, there's this weird, like kind of, co- like, kind of collapse that happened where I was super into Smash Brothers, and then eventually they announced the GameCube, and they announced the Smash Brothers sequel to the GameCube, and I'm like, okay, you know. Nintendo fan at this point, and so I end up with a GameCube. And then they re-released Sonic Adventure 2 for GameCube. And I go, oh my gosh, it's Sonic. I haven't played a Sonic game since Sonic 1. I think I'll try out Sonic Adventure 2. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, but I loved it. I was like 11, and I loved it. It was like it's a, It is still one of my favorite games. It is so good. It's not good. It's not good. I have just nostalgia <laughs> love for this very not good game. Uh, I couldn't even picture Sonic Adventure. Like Sonic kind of went off the rails. I kind of uh, I, I don't know Sonic. It's kind of 
it has this whole kind of underground community and like serious fans like I, uh, oh i was one of the serious fans i had i had many sonic tees <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to work with a guy like this is literally like two or three years ago and in his spare time he would like com- he he was commissioned to draw sonic like people would just pay him loads of money yep. to draw sonic in various incarnations like wh- where is i just that that kind of whole community is is a mystery to me i don't understand there's this whole kind of expanded universe of characters and stuff as well, which is just, I don't know, I don't know anything about Sonic anymore, I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't really like that. It was like my first, like, so my first online community for real was like Invader Zim. Um, but I got into Sonic Adventure 2 and I just fell, I just like dived like head first in the Sonic fandom. Um, and I also drew a bunch of pictures of Sonic and people's Sonic fan characters for, for money. And I was in high school, and it was great, because I made a lot of money in high school <laughs> just drawing. Was there anything to... really creepy? No, thankfully, actually. Um, the one thing, at least in my experience in the Sonic fandom, was that if you said, I don't draw a furry porn, they respected that. Um, but you have to so get out of the way of that. <laughs> you do you you have it up front you have to just say like hey just so you know i will draw that and everyone goes cool i think the weirdest the weirdest request i got uh was from some uh she asked me to draw maroon five as sonic characters like we're talking like adam levine is a bat okay that's that's kind of odd but i made a lot of money off of it and a really good friend <laughs> did she explain why she wanted that no but that's that's the Sonic fandom. Is like you don't explain why. Everyone is just chill. Everyone's just like you know what you're super into foxes. Cool. I. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I, I, that's kind of nice. That's you know whatever you know. The, 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 no yeah. judgment here. Let's just all enjoy it's, it's, what we it's enjoy and like, have a good time. You know, like the goth or like the BDSM fandom. It's just kind of like all right, you're into that. Cool perfectly okay for me to say i'm not into that either oh man that's but you're into that no problem i will happily facilitate um yeah your exactly especially for money <laughs> <laughs> so 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 where did where did you go for, from there then if that was your just sort of first online community like were you i, I guess like were you were you kind of were you into games to, enough to be kind of seeking that out in in a, in a way you know like looking for these communities online to kind of expand your interest yeah i mean I, I stayed in the sonic fandom a lot because the community was so strong and it was something i hadn't found before like the this the pokemon fandom obviously is very you know deep as well but they don't have the there's a very deep love of storytelling in the sonic fandom and i think i guess that comes from the cartoons um and the comic book series and and then where I came in, which was the Sonic Adventure series, which was also trying to kind of cash in on that really hardcore storytelling element. So that was really what attracted me. Like, I loved how into storytelling the community was. Like, there was a lot of role-playing. There was a lot of um, just, like, inter- interaction on, like, a narrative level for this stuff. Yeah. And, like, that was very captivating for me. And to the point where, like, I had, like, really close online friends who would just role-play... We, we, you know, we, we called them Sonic fan characters, but at a certain point, like, they weren't even in the Sonic universe anymore. It was like, 
here's some furries who live in New York. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Like, but what about kind of what about offline? Like, did you have kind of a, a group of friends just in in your life that were as into games as, as you were? And now, you know what? I had the I had the one friend who had the Genesis. And she kind of was like, okay, cool. You're like super into Sonic. That's fine. Whatever. Did you feel kind of a bit like embarrassed about it? Was it something you kind of kept to yourself? No, honestly, like, I I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends in real life um, growing up. Like it took me, you know, I, I had some, I had a very small group of very close friends in high school and we were all just so fucking weird like I'm talking like we had like juggalos, we had like Diablo two shut ins, we had um people who were like really struggling with like, their sexuality and like having a hard time with that. So it was just like we were all just so fucking weird. Like there was nothing we could bring to the table that was like too weird. So yeah. I was the Sonic weirdo and they were just like, All right, that's fine. That's your weird thing. <laughs> Let's and all the go to the mall. Jugglers are neither the, the heroes uh, in america they are they they're, are they've they, they've rebranded themselves very very well who oh, cares absolutely. if they don't know what magnets are they're, they're, they're triumphing the the sort of diversity of society and knocking down racists that's good they don't yeah they don't need to know magnets are they just punch nazis exactly. that's all we can Perfect. that's all we can do right now <laughs> yeah um so how did your your kind of interests sort of grow then like with it like what kind of what broke into that kind of Sonic fandom and kind of broadened your interest? It was it was a big online community. Like that online community is so strong. And um, that friend I mentioned earlier who commissioned me, like she actually was, um, she actually lived in New Jersey, um, about two hours from my house, but she had a vacation home in my hometown because I grew up on the Jersey Shore. And we actually okay. ended up just meeting up in real life like, in summer, like uh, during the summer. And so it was kind of this, like, one, like, anchor, like, okay, you're a real person, I've met you, it's fine, therefore, all of these other Sonic weirdo people must also be real people, so I actually have a ton of friends. That was the, the logical steps. <laughs> um, I mean, that's really nice, so and also a little bit heartbreaking. <laughs> a little bit. But it wasn't hard, you know, like, as someone who was, you know, 14, had, you know, maybe enough friends in high school I could count on one hand who I had met in real life. Um, it was pretty easy to kind of rationalize, well, I'm just in a weird place in America where I don't fit in. And between Europe and Japan and the West Coast, maybe there are more people like me that are just on the Internet. That's, I mean... That that is obviously a wonderful thing, um, yeah. So, but so how did that change though? Like, di or did it change? Maybe you, maybe you're still a big part of the Sonic fandom. Right? I, I don't I don't know. Like, but did you kind of broaden it into other games? Like, what was the change? Uh, you know, I um, I think a big part of it was I went on a, a student exchange program to Japan, which was actually. Oh, wow just like doing night school i had to do like do my mo my mother who's amazing um she like found this like exchange program because i was like harping on her like i want to go to japan i want to go to japan because that's where all the games are made and she's like well there's like the student 
program that brings high school kids to Japan for two weeks. But you have to do like two months of night school effectively to learn about Japan as a cultural exchange thing. Okay. And she would drive me two hours to Philadelphia every week. And there I was like meeting people, also kids who, you know, wanted to do night school for two months for the chance of going to Japan for two weeks. Um, and how old are you at this point? I was like 15, 14, 15. Okay. So just like meeting a ton of weeaboos, just like massive amounts of, like, <laughs> just like having a group of people who are weeaboos um, in real life talking to me, being really cool, inviting me to anime conventions to cosplay with them. Like it took that to kind of be like, okay, I finally feel comfortable. I-, I finally feel comfortable making friends outside of the internet. I yeah. I can effectively socialize. I'm not a hermit anymore because I was I was just so shy. I was so shy as a kid. Um, but finally meeting people who are like, I know that Naruto theme song, or like, or I watched Naruto before it got dubbed, because that was 2005. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, oh, so it was really, really. So, so did you go? I did. Yeah, I went to Japan two weeks. It was it was a whirlwind. Where did tour. you go in Japan? We like flew into Osaka, did a literally a day in Osaka. Went to Kyoto, Hiroshima, Miwajima. Uh, went up to Nagoya, and then finally ended up in Tokyo. Um, it was a whirlwind. So it you was weren't like, like staying with a, a family or anything. You would just go in to kind of travel about the country. Yeah, we we did one weekend with a family. I was in Kitagawa for that, um, which is a tiny town in the middle of Japan. Um, <laughs> that was. Like weird weekend where I basically hung out on a tea farm. They owned a tea farm, and I remember sitting there and like watching Saturday morning cartoons. And we had Digimon season five playing, and we had barely gotten season three. So I was like, oh my gosh! Like and in my little Japanese, I was like, oh, Digimon this call, and they're like, hi. <laughs> like yep, this, this is Digimon still. I'm like, wow. It's different than what we have. Not even that. Even like, oh my god, here's like some normal ass families in Japan who are watching Digimon on Saturday morning. Like that's great. <laughs> I but but like, were you doing that on your own, or was there like a groupie being shipped about? It was a group. The the, the ambassador program was a group. I was studying Japanese on my own because um, my school didn't have a Japanese program. But yeah, I figured out enough to ask people about their favorite digimon very important and was it like as amazing as that sounds for a 15 year old kid who loves japanese culture to go to japan oh my god yeah we all just like we were all just like dying like we got on the plane and we're just like oh my god like (laughs) our in-flight meal is rice crazy (laughs) (laughs) and was it like did it i don't know like was there anything kind of that you didn't expect, I guess, from that trip, or was it just like this is everything I wanted Japan to be? It was. It was almost not even Japan. It was. It was being with other kids like me who just like enjoyed this culture so much. There were some kids on the on the on the group who I think Kingdom Hearts two was coming out, or Kingdom Hearts one of the Kingdom Hearts was coming out, and some of them like bought Japanese PlayStations to play Kingdom Hearts on. Like so, they were like even like way hard more hardcore than I was, um, but like that was super cool. Was like seeing people who were like just so passionate about the same stuff that I was passionate about, like, and seeing that in real life. 
so did that that change anything when you when you came back though like did you i don't know like was there a point where you kind of like oh do you know i, I, I want to try all games now yeah i want to try more games no really i think i came out of my shell i think i saw them like enjoying i think that's when i started like looking into like the square soft catalog okay square enix catalog rather um and kind of like diving into those more like because I, I was just i i don't know what it was there was just like some barrier to entry to me with like the square enix long form jrpgs i wasn't quite ready for like i I tried playing Secret of Mana as I like on ROMs back in the day, and it was yeah. kind of having like encouragement of people like, no, like these are really good, like they're worth the forty hours, the sixty hours you're gonna put into them. Um, that was really huge. So like, I finally you know, like I I took a bite out of Final Fantasy VI, for instance, which is fucking amazing. Um, but it really took like people kind of saying like, no, it's it's worth putting so many hours in these RPGs. They're really great. There's so much story content, and then that's just like unique to the long form of the RPGs. Yeah. So was that your sort of switching point? Then you started playing all the JRPGs. Like, did you get a, a PlayStation or a PlayStation Two or anything? I was actually playing them on ROMs for the most part. Um, I was still a super cheap date. <laughs> so I was like all the all the old Super Nintendo ones and stuff. Yeah, 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 definitely. I eventually got uh, Animal Crossing though. Oh, you got Animal Crossing, like, for the, the GameCube? Yeah, that was another one I dove into after that trip, was just like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to play Animal Crossing and just, you know, fall into this world for a while. Was it amazing? No, honestly, like, it, it had the, the same kind of, like, cute aesthetic, and um, it was nice about Animal Crossing, it's, it's very my pace. So it's very like yeah, it follows your cadence, which I appreciate a lot. Like I think a lot of JRPGs really demand a lot of time from you, and Animal Crossing is not different in that. But Animal Crossing responds to the amount of time you put into it. And like, did you like what else were you were you doing at this point? Like, in terms of like things that you're interested in, was, was games just kind of still a bit of a a side interest? Like, oh yeah, I I didn't know I wanted to work on games. I didn't like. I honestly didn't play as many games as I could have because I was trying to do more art. Like, I was spending a lot of time still, you know, just doing homework and being in school and stuff. Like, I had friends with, like, way worse Yeah, you seemed pretty motivated. Like, you're learning Japanese on the side by yourself. Yeah, yeah. I was I was studying a lot on the side. Um, yeah, just trying to, like, do well in school. Cause I just didn't know what I wanted to do, like, I was still chasing like science scholarships and shit, like for no reason other than because I didn't do what I want to do. Um, yeah, I wasn't playing games as much as I probably could have been, but I was playing them enough that they were a big part of my life still. So, what did you end up doing, like in terms of universities? If you went to sequential art, which is totally not science at all. Well, I, I, so I got a, I got a full, I had a full ride to a science school for some physics thing it was like optics for the country well i just did not want to live in at all and i was like i can't. it was in like it was in like in like north like upstate new york and i was just like i can't live in upstate new york and study optics like i will shoot myself i just know i will it's not what i love <laughs> um so I, tur- I turned it down and i just decided i i was also still 
I, I got back to this trip from Japan, and I was like, everyone was really cool, and I had a fun time, but, like, I also want to, like, commit to just being a weirdo. So I didn't go into linguistics. That was on the table. I didn't go into linguistics at all. I didn't study Japanese or Latin. I was studying Latin in high school as well. I didn't do that. And I settled on art because I knew I was good at it, but I was still so afraid to, like, settle on, like, being a weeaboo. I was a fashion major for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I went into the university as a fashion Wait, Did you major. have any interest in that, or was that just you can draw? It was honestly like, well, I can probably be cool if I make fashion, and I'm good enough at character design, I can design clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And I got in there, and six months later, I was like, I can't do this. I hate everyone here. They're all assholes. With lots of zips on everyone's outfits. Oh, my God. And it was just like, like, it's the, the, the joke with the fashion major is it's also the shopping major. And so you have a lot of people who go to art school, have a lot of money, and just spend a lot of time shopping. Yeah, from everything you've described so far, I feel like that's one of the worst things you could go into. Oh, it was the worst idea ever. <laughs> I even I had a professor <laughs> tell me that I draw too well to be in fashion. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I suppose that's kind of encouraging. Yeah, so I, I basically just like... Kinda... like you've made a terrible life choice, but you're quite good, so it's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But was that like, I'm trying to kind of reconcile this because you seem to kind of be trying to kind of move yourself away from this kind of uh, kind of Japanese like video game loving nerds. But like going to university like that, I talk about this on the show all the time. It's kind of you're given this opportunity to to reinvent yourself. So if you're going to do fashion, did you kind of leave all your video game paraphernalia behind and you're like, no, I'm going to be a new person? Oh, yeah. I, I tried to like, I bought like a um like a mark jacobs purse i would like go to tj maxx and like which is like our you know resale like high fashion resale brand here and yeah. I, we would try to i would try to like buy fashionable clothes um it was a disaster <laughs> was there any fun in that? that i mean that sounds like that could be fun i mean that's kind of a, a fandom all, all it kind of is honestly like you kind of find designers to follow and you yeah, you find like your Carl Lagerfeld that you can follow and be like, oh, he was at he was at Chanel, but now he's doing his own thing, and and then it is a fandom. Um, but God, it's an expensive fandom, and I just do not have the wallet for that. <laughs> it's it's more expensive than buying awesome Evangelion figurines, which in the end I realized I wanted to spend my money on awesome Evangelion figurines. <laughs> <laughs> so so w- w- when did you kind of? switch that up then with like you said after six months was that kind of easy to do or yeah that... i mean that in that six months i um i had a roommate who was really great this girl kelsey and she kind of coaxed me into going to like the tabletop gaming club and i went to tabletop gaming club and i fell in love with a guy and he was a video game major and i was like okay maybe i can be a nerd after all it's <laughs> fine <laughs> You go home that 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 holiday break and bring back like all of your video game paraphernalia, and you're like, well, you know, I'm just I'm into all this uh, stuff. Basically, I, I literally I came back after after fall quarter, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this nerd stuff out. I'm gonna be a comic major, and I'll bring my manga with me. And <laughs> <laughs> that seems like that worked out, though. I mean, did did it work out? It did. No, it it 
I really, I thought I'd be a video game, I thought I would be a comic book artist for a long time, uh, until I got to my really hardcore kind of major studies, and I realized that creative alone, like, I I would look at the stuff I would create alone with comic books versus the kind of role-playing I would do with my game design friends and realized I was really better at that, and that echoed a lot to my, you know, I passed doing role-playing in the Sonic fandom, even um, kind of that improv-style storytelling. And I was like, you know, I'm really good at this. I should keep doing stories. And that was where, like, between, you know, the advice I was getting at GDC and, like, developing my portfolio for the following GDC, it was like, okay, I'm really good at storytelling. I should just kind of hunker down and just try to make that work. And it, it worked out thankfully it's such an amazing kind of confluence of of interests and and kind of loves to get you to that that point like i think that's a really unique kind of journey to that i suppose like especially with the like i'm assuming it was like some kind of D that you were playing this tabletop game yeah we were playing we played D, we played exalted we played Shadowrun. like i was just playing so much at that point in time because I, I i had more free time than i was really appreciating you know now i look back and go oh my god i had time to play four simultaneous yeah. tabletop RPGs. Holy crap. Um, but yeah, it was just something I fell into very naturally because it was this, you know, real world fermentation of like, oh, I know how to roleplay. I can do that easy. I did that in my entire adolescence. Um, but now I'm doing it with people in real life. I'm drinking with them. I'm being a cool college kid. I'm, you know, getting a little high and, and playing roleplaying games. Like, being cool <laughs> being <laughs> you <know>? the coolest <laughs> but then also yeah being the coolest but then also rolling a bunch of d6s and <laughs> having fun <laughs> that's amazing i i'm i i need to know now a little bit more about the sonic stuff like did you when you say you like role play as a kid like was that of a specific character or do you create your own character and go into that world Oh, I rolled my own, yeah. To the point where it wasn't even Sonic anymore. Okay. It was actually like our own our own world that we had created. And it was like, our characters were like close enough to Sonic characters that we could edit like Sonic Advanced sprites. And we could like make sprite comics out of them. But that was about it. <laughs> I'd never heard of sprite. I actually, I spoke to, um, who did I speak to? Christine Love a few episodes ago. And she mentioned Sprite Comics, oh, and I'd God. never heard of them before. I love this But they sound amazing. Yeah. So was that something that you were into as well? Yeah. It was It was big in the Sonic fandom because everyone made Sonic characters that were pretty close. And, you know... So you'd literally rip Sonic a Sprite Advanced. and edit it to look like whoever your character would be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I would get really advanced, and, you know, and I had more anthropomorphic characters i would edit marvel versus capcom sprites oh what oh yeah because it was like, like it's funny i was just at the marvel versus capcom 3 party like literally tonight uh or or no sorry three then the latest one came out tonight yeah and i was just like ranting to somebody i was like oh my god like the sprites for this game are the shit like they are the the culmination of game design meets animation like they're beautiful sprite sheets and they were like you know i got to the point where it's like no like my characters aren't sonic characters they're anthropomorphic characters 
and they move like Ryu. <laughs> was that was that not like a mad controversy there when they started introducing the kind of the humans into the Sonic universe? Oh well, like, mine were never humans though. They were just very tall cat people. My mom, my mother actually was like, "I like your cat people." <laughs> Julie, why do you always draw cat people? Oh man, Have you, do they still exist anywhere? I, I, I would love to see kind of Marvel vs. Oh Capcom, God. you know, remixed into the Sonic Probably universe. Probably not. I think, I think they're on like my my long dead hard drives at this point. They, they but... definitely are right there though. I'm gonna have to. Look. If anyone did some like deep web web surfing of my name, they could probably find my old Sonic characters. If anyone is so inclined. <laughs> I, I, ch- I challenge your listeners to find my Sonic fan characters. Oh, man. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, but, I mean, I suppose that, I mean, again, this all kind of ties together because I'm assuming with those kind of, like, sprite rips and, you know, you're you're still making comics, you know? You're doing what you ended up doing in university. Yeah, and uh, honestly, my, my freshman year, my, my final for my classes was actually a comic with my old characters in it. Amazing. And... Yeah, like no one really blinked an eye. They was like, "All right, there's some weird furries, cool." <laughs> so, I mean, it's crazy how quickly then this all must have happened because you know you you said you kind of essentially dropped out of university a little bit early to go and work for Telltale. So, like, you're very motivated, Julie. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I finished my first year. I figured out what I, what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, I I know now. I don't want to do all these other majors. I want to do comic books. I want to draw. I want to tell stories. And I think telling stories was the main... That was the big... Yep. Telling stories is important to me. Um, and then the next year, I went to GDC and found out, okay, the game industry is changing in a way that's actually making this a part of their DNA. Yeah. And so it really was kind of like this natural... Disc- I almost just had this like kind of like road laid out in front of me that was like hey the game industry is changing to be more storytelling based and that's always been what i valued from games in the first place like you know even pokemon with its loose narrative or any jrpg with a narrative it was like oh my god this is very compelling um and seeing you know your mass effects um your dragon ages kind of like start moving in that direction and then obviously I met the Telltale people and was like, "Oh my gosh! Like this is actually a company that like, wants to tell stories of games, like like hook line and thing." You, ha- you haven't mentioned it before. <laughs> like, had you played like any of the like original kind of point and click games, like the Sierra games or the like any of the LucasArts games? No, you know it's funny. I had I had played a little. I like dabbled in Monkey Island. I dabbled in Mist. Um, they were really frustrating, so I never finished them. Um. But what really got me was like Telltale is making a Fables game, and I loved Fables. I, lo- I love the comic yeah. book, and I was like, "Oh my god, I I want to work on that." Done. Um, so I, I applied to work on Fables, and I I got it. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, like, that's such a. But a lot of a lot of it was just like, oh, I read this comic book. I know a lot about it. I love how they tell stories in this comic book. I would love to make that in video games. Um, it's just perfect timing. It was just, it was just like, sheer perfect luck. timing. Yeah, it was it, exactly. It was like I couldn't. The like rise of Telltale was perfectly timed with my like finalizing my university studies. It was it, it, insane. And like, why were you at GDC? Was that just because you were hanging around with a bunch of 
game people like did, did that did you get I together follow, with I that boy you like who was studying game design yeah i literally i literally followed a boy there and i got a job before he did <laughs> oh, so is he working there as well he ended up uh he moved to chicago where he's from and he runs a game store now like a traditional game store oh amazing i'm gonna take a, a brief aside for some relatively uh quick fire questions surely so yeah. Um, if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say Galaga. Is this your arcade roots showing through? Yeah, it's... Um, I I don't have a like particularly high score in it, but I don't have a particularly high score in any game. <laughs> <laughs> so usually when I take boys to bars... I beat them at Galaga. <laughs> that's my that's my move. <laughs> um, like, was there like, are you kind of competitive? Do you play games competitively? Like, growing up in an arcade scene, they're kind of that's what they're designed for. Like, even DDR was like super oh, yeah. competitive. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and it's funny because like the DDR scene is so intense. I wouldn't say that's my best game because I've just been so schooled yeah, in that yeah, game. Yeah. Also, <laughs> but you do games. But yeah, I, I do like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, on, a, on a similar kind of tip, like, has there ever been a game that's kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to kind of uninstall it because it was getting in the way of reality? Oh, God, Minecraft. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's, it's so it's funny. I, I attribute this to... I was I was really resistant to Minecraft. My my boyfriend in college was super into Minecraft, and I was watching him play it. And I was like, "This is owning your life." To the point where he wasn't finishing his study, like, he was just playing Minecraft. Like, and then this is like, was that like the first iteration of it? Oh yeah, this is like beta, super beta, like <laughs> right, okay, three point or oh point three or whatever. And I was like, I finished my major. I, I we finished we finished Jurassic Park, and I go, I want to play a game. Like, what should I get into? I'm done crunching on Jurassic Park. What do I do? And my roommate, who was a friend of my, was, um, was playing Minecraft. He's like, well, Minecraft's at like 0.8 now. It's pretty good. You want to do this? And I just dove into it because it was a narrative. Like, I got to the point at Telltale where, like, you know, I would play games and I was just, like, overanalyzing narrative. Like, at any point, like, I, I would play Mass Effect and just be like, how are they doing their dialogue choices? How are they building their narrative? How are they telling their stories but then i would put up minecraft and be like oh there's none of that i can just be free um so it became this like kind of playground where it was like oh i'm i'm playing games again for the first time and i'm not analyzing them on this level that i had kind of become accustomed to analyzing them on so i get really deep into minecraft i i have lost days to minecraft um, what sort of I, what, what elements of it just in the kind of the the design of it as in you know building massive structures or just trying to survive or yeah i just get lost i i literally go on a server and i'll just walk for days and just find cool shit and like be like oh man ice biome time to build an ice house <laughs> and then and then i'll lose i'll, I'll, I'll get lost and be like well my ice house is gone i'll spend like three days on the ice house get lost be like well i don't know where my ice house is anymore i guess i'll go to this cool desert biome and here's a desert house 
that I'm going to build out of cactuses or something. That's quite fun, though. So you're not kind of hanging on to your kind of Minecraft legacy. You're just you're literally an explorer getting by in the world. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of the other fun part of it is like this very zen outlook of like, I made a thing and it's gone. And Yeah, no, that's nice. Okay. Um, has there... Um, actually you know talking about competitive stuff like if you are if you're prone to such things what was your worst rage quit god yeah you know what i went to an arcade on a date and i we they had a um oh this is my first my first date i was 14 oh it's cute yeah and we went to the arcade and i i was gonna impress this guy i was really good at it was Whatever Mega Man game it was where you could also play as Forte. I don't know what that one is. And I was like, I have no idea. It was on like the Ultracade system. So it wasn't even like a proper Mega Man cabinet. It was an Ultracade cabinet with a bunch of Capcom games on it. Okay. And so I was like, oh my god, I want to like fucking school this guy at whatever Mega Man game this is. He just owned me. He was like... (laughs) It was like totally like it was like way better at the game than me. And I wasn't expecting it. And I got so mad. I like just call off the date. <laughs> oh man, welcome to love. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And did you like? Did you cite that as a reason, or did you just storm away and like, no, this is over? I just stormed away. I just stormed away. He couldn't know. <laughs> Not allowed. Oh man, that's amazing. Um. It, this is quite actually. This is quite a good question, considering what you're you're sort of currently working on. Um, like one of the the rarest things I, I find that games are able to do is uh, is comedy. So, so Jolie, what games have really made you laugh? Uh, you know, honestly, the funniest game I know is Katamari Damacy. Yep. Um, I just love how straight it plays itself it knows that it's absurd it isn't it knows how bizarre it is and it's still just unwavering in how it plays itself straight um and i love that about it and i love that it like kind of leans into the quirkiness that comes from the way games are built like they have you know npcs in that game that just act bizarre yeah that's just part of the aesthetic of it um no, it's it's absolutely yeah. So just amazing. like as, as like a, as like a long term game there, yeah. And just seeing like little people's legs kind of wiggling about when you pick them up in the ball. Yeah, yeah. It's just like as as a game player, like you witness that in other games, and other games try to kind of be like, oh, you know, there's there's maybe like there's video to cover this, or like we explain it away with some kind of mechanic or a story point, and it's like in Conrad kind of Dharma, it's just like that's just part of the world and how the world works. And they don't really sneeze at that, just how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, has there ever been... Um, uh, like, do you have a, a chicken soup game? Like, is there a game you go to kind of as a, a way to kind of escape the world and soothe some wounds? It, it, it's Minecraft or Konamari. And what I have hooked up. One of those two. So when did, like... When would Katamari have come in? Like, did you was that sort of during university that you started getting more consoles, or was that after? You know, it, it had just come out, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Toonami. It's like a yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a channel we channel, have over yeah. here. Yeah, and they used to do game reviews, 
And out of nowhere, I don't know what genius at that channel decided they're going to do a review of Katamari Damacy. They just did it. And they gave it like a 9 out of 10. And I was like, you know what? That looks fucking great. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> and I think at that point, my little brother had... Um, my brother's a huge Grand Theft Auto fan. I think by then he had gotten a PS4 or PS2. Yeah. I can go to Target. Or I can go, I can go to any big box store and get games for cheap. Why not? Of course. Um. Yeah. So it kind of just became this like kind of like we we were getting so into games. I was just like, let's just try stuff. And it was things like Conor Murdomacy. I was just like, that looks great. Like, why not? We have the console for it now. Like once that barrier to entry was broken, it was just. We just started trying like weird stuff. Yeah, I remember we got like a Spyro like Legacy collection, and like that was like gigantic. Like, that was huge. Like that was so good. Yeah, the PS. Yeah. If you're looking for like weird gems, the the PS2 is is one of the best places for it. So many oh, yeah. amazing, bizarre, brilliant games on that system. Mm-hmm. I used to work in a, a blockbuster when I was a student, and the amount of yes. kind of odd things you get traded in and you just immediately be like, no, I'll, I'll take that home. That's fine. I'll buy that. Um, just God, yeah, like, yeah, like one of our favorite games. Yeah. Like one of our favorite games growing up was a uh, Dave Mira BMX, which is like just a fucking blip on the radar. Like it's not a game. Anyone knows. It's such a good game. Could, like, I love the Dave Mira it's BMX. So good. I have a real soft spot for those extreme sports games. Yes. As I, I'm yeah, really have, sad like, they ATV. don't come out. I know, like, I miss, like, the Tony Hawk's... Like, we don't have, like, any good Tony Hawk games anymore. No. Like, what happened to that franchise? I mean, it did peak. Like, Project... Like, I'm, I I love the Tony Hawk series game. It's one of my favorite, like... For, for, their, like, for technical reasons, for personal reasons, they're just... They're amazing. And Project 8 on the Xbox 360 is, like, the pinnacle. It's just, oh, it's the greatest. And then it's just been rubbish. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, oh. in, in my... In my humble opinion um yeah it's really good <laughs> so so how was the the transition into into the workplace then like how was that like was it what you expected when you when you first got the job it was definitely smoother than it could have been um because everyone there is so motivated by storytelling it wasn't difficult to kind of pick up on the sympathies of everyone who worked there and like kind of find common ground creatively with everybody um, I was yeah. actually really afraid of joining Ubisoft, knowing it was a AAA company and kind of you know, knowing it's really traditionally your systemic focus, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry's. Um, and then got very lucky being on a South Park license where it's like, oh, no, actually, storytelling is still king here. It's still very important that we can tell good stories. Oh, so you didn't move to... You, I, I, I assumed you'd move to Ubisoft purely to work on South Park, but that wasn't the case. No, I did. I did. I, I basically, I was on. I was at Telltale for a while, and then um, someone, a, a friend of mine, contacted me and said, "Like, hey, we're working on this IP." It really, it really was like kind of like you work on IPs. I have another IP. I think you'd be interested in. And obviously, I was like, I love South Park. I grew up watching South Park. Um, but I was very kind of trepidatious about like, okay, what does it mean to go to AAA? Do I like? Will I find that same kind of like-mindedness with my coworkers about storytelling and about presentation? And um, it's definitely a more varied environment. Like, there's definitely like, designers on my team who don't 
like value that stuff as much, but they're very sympathetic towards it. Yeah. Um, but I, I was I was very afraid I would lose the like I I recognized at Telltale how lucky I was to have that creative base of people who love storytelling, and I was afraid to lose that. But then, yeah. by the virtue of being on the South Park team and of Ubisoft recognizing that and saying okay we need to hire people who understand storytelling, um, I found myself in like kind of this pool of triple a developers who really value presentation and storytelling above all else like above even mechanics um so i got really lucky so it's a, it was a very i've had a very like soft introduction to traditional triple a companies like i didn't i never pictured myself at ubisoft you know in in university i was always like oh well, maybe i'll go to leica but <laughs> you know never like expecting <laughs> to be at like the place that makes wash dogs um but at the end of the day it kind of worked out. It kind of is it this perfect storm of IP and personnel they hired and the studio itself being built around South Park helped. Yeah, I mean, it must be amazing to work. Like, how much kind of, I don't know, like, do you get access to, like, all the South Park back catalogs? And I don't know, is there is there law Or are you just kind of winging it based on your own interests and love of the characters? Or, like, what's the Oh, the yeah, I, I, I can, I can, like, literally, like, I am... One of the art, like what some of our artists are ex South Park workers, and I look and I am them and be like, "Hey, I need this character model from season seventeen, episode three. And then a little, it looks like show up in my email, <laughs> like, "Oh, here's the Maya file for that character you wanted. Here you go." That's amazing. That must be very exciting. It's so cool, and like our pipeline's built to use all their assets. So, like, we literally just have characters and backgrounds from the show show up in our game oh man like so so at what point did you you join that then like was there was there already the kind of the this conceit of the the kind of marvel civil war style setup or like did you get a hand did you get a chance to kind of play around with what you were going to do no, i think i think trey and matt came in knowing they were going to do superheroes knowing that was the thing to parody, um, knowing that they, they had done that already in season 16. Yeah. Um, like the, the trilogy that they did. I think they, I came on with them knowing they were doing that. Um, I was kind of in the first set of designers, which was cool. So I got to really kind of carve out my little niche of, you know, mission design and story design, um, on that project. So, um, well, just to kind of like like finish up then, I suppose. Like, how are you kind of as excited about games now as you were uh, as a kid? Are you optimistic for the the future of of video games? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I think I've uh, I really hunger more for mechanics driven games. I've kind of watched the game industry get very obsessed with narrative and. That's a big part of my career, obviously, and and I'm a, I'm a part of that as well, like these like narrative driven games. But I'm always so interested to see, you know, mechanics heavy games or games that really really rely like around a central mechanic to be good. The same way that classic arcade games really just have one central mechanic that make them compelling and feel great. Do you do you have any kind of um interest in doing that yourself like you know 
to make one of these kind of really sort of focused mechanic driven sort of arcadey game yeah i think i think i found the right collaborator i i don't think i'm like particularly good at that but it's something i really want to learn kind of on the job with somebody so if i think i found the right collaborator i would love to make that kind of yeah mechanics driven game i really i will i will always look back at ms pac-man at this kind of elegant injection of storytelling into a very compelling mechanics-based game. So I think that, you know, left my own devices. That's probably what I would work on next. Um, but who knows? That's very exciting. Um, but, like, if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention, please take this opportunity now or let people know where they can find you online if you want them to. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm entirely too active on Twitter at Jolie Menzel. So just my name as an at Twitter. Um, I have a website as well, but it's not updated very often. But if you want to see the work I've done and some of the little game jam games I've done, they're on JolieMenzel.com. Um, was that okay for you, though, Jolie? Was that? I hope that was pleasurable in in some aspect. Yeah, thank you for having me on. You have good taste in music. Are you ready?